0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast. I am your host, Dane Kramer, and I want to thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That will take you to the website. And there you will find resources available for you. You'll find all the previously released podcasts. You can listen to them. You'll find some articles that I have that I've just written over the years. You can read those. And uh, you already you just browse around. There's information about some other interests of mine, such as videos and so on and so forth. So just go to thethinkingchristian.us and you'll find that. Also, while you're there, don't forget to put in your email address and your name and hit the subscribe button so that when updates are made to the website, you'll get a notification in your email box. You can go right to it and listen to the next podcast or read the next uh, update on the website. And as always, you can go to um, Apple, iTunes, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Android, and uh, or any of your favorite podcasting apps, and there you should be able to subscribe to this podcast. You can get the RSS feed from the website or just simply go to those uh, apps, do a search for the Thinking Christian podcast, and you should be able to find me. Uh, once you get there, subscribe. That way you'll get the um, the newest download on your app whenever it becomes available. Okay, well, let's get into today's podcast. I want to talk about a passage of Scripture that interests me. I think it's a fascinating topic, and it really comes from last week's podcast. I alluded to this passage of Scripture last week, and as I thought about it during this this past week... I thought, you know, that would make a good topic in itself. There's just there's just so much information, and this little passage is so rich with uh, not just information, but uh, with uh, lots to think about, and I think it, it's a very challenging passage of Scripture, and so I want to talk about that today. Um, just a few verses. I'm going to go ahead and read them. It's from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. This is often referred to or... These words are grouped together with a couple other passages and are sometimes referred to as the hard words of Jesus. And uh, by that, I think what we mean is that this is not, you know, lovey-dovey, hippie Jesus talking. It sounds like this is just real radical stuff, um, hard to understand in a way hard to, to get our minds wrapped around it. It sounds just simply hard. And so it's often referred to as the hard words of Jesus. And so uh, that is what we're going to talk about today. So Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, follow along. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road and just listen. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, that's Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? kind of challenging is it not i mean that's just those are those are hard words and how do we understand them how do we understand them without softening them at all you know i mean this i think jesus uh, meant everything he said in there and yet we do have to understand them somehow so uh, I'm just going to walk through the passage a little bit and just give you my thoughts, sort of my commentary, and remember that my thoughts, my, my opinion, and $2.50 will not get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I think it's a lot more than that, um, and what I'm implying is that my opinion really doesn't take you anywhere at the end of the day. It's just my opinion, but I'll... Um, Hey, this is my show, and that's all that I have is my opinion. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. You know, it starts out kind of interesting, and, and in my mind's eye, what I always see here, it says, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned. So I kind of picture Jesus as, you know, walking down this dusty road in first-century Palestine, and, and he's with his disciples, you know, they're sort of a huddled-together group, and behind them, maybe 20 paces behind them, is this great multitude. There is this large group of people. And, you know, they're probably there for all kinds of reasons. You know, Jesus is, uh, he's at the very least an oddity, you know? I mean, who is this guy? He's hes healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing you know, rather miraculous things. And I think some people are coming out to watch him. They want to see a trick. They want to see a miracle. They want to see him do something. Or oh, some of them in that group really maybe just, Maybe they want a miracle. Maybe some of them are sick themselves and have heard about his healing power and are just following him for an opportunity to get healed by him. Uh, There could be some in that group who, well, you know, they're just, uh, they're interested He said some things, and they're kind of tagging along. They want to know what he has to say. And, uh, you know, as I picture that multitude walking along that dusty road, I often just think that's what our churches are filled with, people of all kinds of persuasions and all kinds of walks and at all points in their lives, um, you know, just... What is this Jesus about? And we all have different interest levels, it seems like. So that multitude, I think, is a cross-section of us. But it's interesting because Jesus is walking along this road and he turns. You know, So suddenly it just seems he kind of stops and he wheels around. And he says to this group, if anyone wants to come after me, now they are coming after him. I mean, they're right behind him. So uh, it's almost as if you know he's saying, hey, if you want to continue this walk, if you want to continue to follow me, I I I got I want you to know some things first, okay? You know, before we go any further, it's interesting. A couple of years ago, um, my wife and I received a uh, a flyer in the mail. Something about uh, if we uh, if we move our money from one account to another to this other charge ca- account, this credit card. That's what I'm trying to say. This credit card account that we will enjoy a ridiculously low interest rate. And we thought, well, that's pretty good. We had some money that we had in one account that we were paying not a terrible interest rate on, but this sounded really good. So we did just, just that. We moved our money from one credit card to another and, you know, paid the one off. And sure enough, for a couple of months, wow, the interest rate was low and this was great. And then all of a sudden it just skyrocketed. The payment jumped up and I'm thinking, what's going on? And I, and I called the credit card company to ask what was happening, and um, and they said, oh yeah, that interest rate, that introductory interest rate is just that, it's introductory, and if you le- look in the back of that statement that we mailed you, and I did, there near the bottom, in print so fine that you could hardly read it, it said, you know, something like, for three months you'll enjoy great interest, and on in the fourth month we're going to nail you with it, or something to that effect, and uh, you know, I'd missed it. I just missed it. I I didn't read the fine print, and sometimes the fine print really can can nail you if you're not careful with it. And what I like about this passage in Luke chapter 14 is Jesus is not, he's not leaving any fine print out there. He's he's telling the crowds right up front what it means and what it costs to be a follower of his. And as we read this passage, uh, to me, it's just way out in the open. Jesus is making it very clear, abundantly clear, what it means and what it will cost to be a disciple, to be a follower of his. Um, and so he, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to come to me and, and you want to be my disciple, fine. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I want you to know something first, and, and that is uh, there's a few things that you have to know going into this. If anyone wants to come to me, but he's not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even his own life, well, he, he cannot be my disciple. And it's almost as if he, he takes his toe and draws a, a line in the sand there and says, you know, you want to cross this line, that's fine. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you want to be my disciple? I'm looking for him. I'm looking for people who are, you know, interested in, in this life as a disciple. But if you do cross the line, if you, if you come after me, you've got to know some things right up the start. And a little later he'll tell us why you have to know this. But he, but he says, you've got to know this. And that is, if you come after me, you've got to hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even your own life. Now, that's a hard word. You know, and it almost doesn't sound like Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus? Hate? And, and you know, first to understand that, I, I think we do have to understand the time and the place that Jesus is speaking uh, of course, uh, he's in first-century Palestine, and he's he's a Jew, and he's talking to a Jewish audience, and he's using Jewish figures of speech. and I and I see hate there in Matthew, or excuse me, in Luke fourteen twenty six, hate your father and mother as a figure of speech. Um, this we find in other places of Scripture. For example, in Matthew chapter six and verse twenty four, uh, Jesus is is talking to his disciples there on the Sermon of the Mount, and he said, "No one can serve two masters." For he will either hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, of course, a person can have, for example, two employers. and It doesn't mean that you must hate one and, and love the other. But I think the words hate and love there, those extremes, are, are just really making the point that you must prefer one over the other. Uh, to hate one means that you give it less Preference. To love the other gives it more preference. I think this is really key- clear in Genesis chapter 29. Uh, we have the story of uh, Jacob and, and um, Rachel. And we read that in, in, in verse 30 of Genesis 29 that um, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And what's interesting is the very next verse, and you have to read the King James Version to make it clear, to see it. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated... Now, it never, didn't say that Jacob hated her, but it, he loved Rachel more. And very clear, we can see that this is just a figure of speech. This is a way that the Jewish audience would understand it. And this is the way a Jew would speak. To hate means to, to prefer less. And so I think what Jesus is saying in verse 26 is, if you come after me, I need you to know that you need to prefer me than all the other relationships in your life, whether your parents or your wife or children and even your own life. Coming after me means you have to prefer me over the others, that I have to have the the first position. Now, he goes on in verse 27, he said, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, well, he can't be my disciple. You know, this is... I think this this verse here is maybe misunderstood a little bit, or, or the impact of this verse. Let's put it that way. The impact of this verse is not quite as understood as well as it would have been in the first century to the listeners of Jesus. When when we hear the word cross or bearing a cross, um, oftentimes I think we think of, um, well, first of all, a cross is something we wear around our neck because it's a piece of jewelry. We, we look at the cross as being an ornament or a piece of jewelry or even something beautiful. Uh, but in the first century land where Jesus was speaking, it was not the case at all. The cross was a horrible instrument of torture and death used by the Romans to carry out uh, capital punishment. If they were going to execute a a, a prisoner, he or she was uh, nailed to a cross. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible way to die. And if you're going, if they're going to uh, kill somebody on the cross, typically what they would do is they would make them carry their cross. The Roman, you know, who the soldier in charge of your execution would say to you, "Okay, you're going to get crucified over there, but you need to pick up your cross here and carry because we're not going to carry it for you." Now, I suppose a a prisoner could say, listen, I'm not carrying my cross. Uh, you carry it. Um, and they probably would make his last few hours of life most miserable for refusing that. Um, but oftentimes, I believe that prisoners would carry. Matter of fact, Jesus carried his own cross. We know that uh, he was ordered by the soldiers to do that, and he picked it up. Now, if you see a person carrying their cross, it's very, very important here to understand the significance of that. A prisoner who picks up his cross and is carrying it to his place of execution is basically saying, the fight is over. That, that I've, I've, I've um, accepted my fate, so to speak. I'm no longer insisting on my rights anymore. I've accepted the fate of dying. As a matter of fact, a person carrying the cross would be nothing less than a, a walking dead man. I mean, he's going to his or her execution. And so when Jesus said, Who, whoever does not bear his cross, I mean, I think, again, first century Palestine, that would have hit his audience like a ton of bricks. Bear your cross. I mean, to pick up your instrument of death, to becoming you know, a walking dead person. And, and in a sense, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you want to become a follower of his... You have to set aside your own rights. This is no longer about you insisting on your rights or, or, or your privileges. This is about accepting your fate. You become, so to speak, a, a walking dead person. Dead in a sense that, that your, own, um, your own life is now second to the life of Jesus Christ. Wow, it really sounds appealing, doesn't it? Well, in verse 28, I think he tells us why he's telling this information, why it's important. He said, for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, you know, whether he can finish it. Because if he lays the foundation, if he if he starts to build it, and he, and he has to finish because he runs out of money, everybody's going to mock him. You know, I mean, put that in modern terms. If a person's building a house or a garage or something like that on their property— and they don't really, dis, they don't figure out how much this is going to cost. They just kind of jump into the project, and they get it about half done, and they run out of money. Well, there it sits, sort of like a, a monument to their stupidity. I mean, there, there sits this garage half, half unfinished or half finished. And people will mock, you know, that person started something, they couldn't finish it. And I think what Jesus is saying is, you know, save yourself the trouble here. If you're going to become a Christian— and you don't have what it takes, then why start? I mean, you're wasting your time and God's at the same time. I mean, isn't that very gracious of Jesus to tell us before we even begin, this is, this is going to cost you a lot. As a matter of fact, this is going to cost you everything. Now, to be a disciple of mine means you have to put me first in front of all the other relationships in your life. You have to put me first in front of you, so much so that you have to pick up your own cross. You have to uh, resign yourself to the faith that you are no longer your own, but you belong to me, is what Jesus, I believe, is telling us. And again, he's just putting that out, putting that out there for us to understand. This is what it's going to cost us. You know, I, I think it's wrong for... For In a way, for us to bring others into the kingdom without telling them right from the start. I mean, Jesus does right from the start. This is what it's going to cost you. You know, there's a, another place in um, Luke chapter 19. I didn't look this up, but I think that's, no, it's 18. Pretty sure it's 18, Luke 18. Um, the What we call the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich young roller came to Jesus once and you know said, "Good teacher, what can I do to be saved?" They have a little bit of a discourse, and then Jesus you know kind of says well you know here 's what you need to do're you 're lacking one thing there 's one thing missing from your life that you need to add, and that is sell everything you have, take the money from that sale, and then give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. You know just you know take everything you have, put it on eBay, get rid of it, sell it, take the funds." Get that PayPal account once you have all the money from everything you've sold and give that money to the people around you, the poor people, so that they become more rich than you are. And once you've divested yourself of everything that you have, then why don't you come and follow me? You know, I, I think, <laughs> I think if, if, if Jesus would go to some of our modern day seminaries, our, our Bible colleges um, on how to build a church, on how to pastor a church, he probably would fail the test Uh, because he just was too abrupt at times. And he told this man, "They told this man, why don't you sell everything you have and just come follow me? And we read that the man, you know, just kind of shakes his head, turns around and walks away, sorrowful because Luke tells us he was rich. And apparently he loved his bling. I mean, he he loved his money. He loved what he had. And I think Jesus saw that in him. And for that reason, he said, you know, you're going to have to get rid of that before you come follow me. I, I think, you know, the the modern way of, of the way churches would do it today is well, you know, let's not chase the guy off first. I mean, he is rich; we could use his money. He's young; I mean, we could use his energy. Uh, he's a ruler already. I mean, he's a leader, and th- this is this is exactly the guy we want in our church. Don't scare him off. You know, bring him in a little bit. Um, give him free parking you know let him sit by the air conditioner or something you know let's treat the guy well and then you know we'll, we'll kind of bring him in and bring him along the way and you know kind of teach him slowly and then eventually we'll get to the part about having to surrender everything but not the first day you know <laughs> but that wasn't Jesus way that's not the way he did it now, of course he was Jesus and he saw this man's issues right from the very beginning, and we often don't have that kind of foresight or insight, I should say. But he wasn't shy about what it takes to follow him. And this passage in Luke 14 is just that. Uh, in fact, that the the passage that I read, verse 33, ends with Jesus kind of winding up again saying, so likewise, whoever, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, it cannot be my disciple. Not probably won't be, or, you know, may not make the cut. It cannot be. This is an issue of black and white, that becoming a disciple of Jesus means that we make him primary in our lives. We make him first, that we follow Jesus. Uh, You know, I, I don't think necessarily that we have to sell all that we have, give it up, and give that money to the poor. I don't see that command to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 19, or 18. <laughs> I don't see that as a, a command to all people everywhere. But this command, in a sense, I do see it, that we have to see Jesus as primary. He's our leader. And everything that we have, everything that we own, is really His. And that we pick up our cross and we begin to follow Him. You know, I'm saying some of this because I'm not so sure that this message is really preached in our pulpits and taught in our Sunday schools anymore. That following Jesus is a radical departure from this world as we know it. That we become His and that we invest ourselves in His kingdom by giving our lives to it that we seek to become like him that we submit our desires, our passions, our lusts and you know our principles. Everything that we have becomes his and we we are his. And this is not extraordinary Christianity as I see it, but ordinary Christianity. That this is what it takes and this is what he expects of his disciples. And Jesus just puts it out there for everyone to see. So they know this is what's going this is what it's going to take to be his. And so I'm just repeating that today for the sake of Christ for the listeners that this is what it takes to be Jesus, to be his. It takes everything. And you need to know that going into it. You need to know that Before you get too involved in case you realize, I don't have what it takes. Why waste your time and his? Well, with that, I'm going to sign off. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time on the Thinking Christian Podcast.